weeks we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. Pastor Steve has been uh, discussing who the Holy Spirit is and, and how the Holy Spirit works in our life and what that looks like in a proper context. And he's done a fantastic job. And if you haven't like been here for those sermons or you missed any of them, I would tell you go listen to them um, or watch them. We have them on our Facebook account on on uh, Facebook, and we also have them podcast on our website. You, you need to listen to those. They are fantastic. So, but today we're going to take a slightly different approach on the Holy Spirit. Um, we've been focusing on the Holy Spirit himself and just kind of uh, what he is and, and how he works. And, and Pastor Steve has clearly made the point already that the Holy Spirit is God. But what we're going to do is we're going to take, we're going to kind of back up today and look at the concept of, of the Trinity, Okay, so we're going to look at the Trinity as a whole, and, and the Holy Spirit functions in that, but we're going to focus more on the, Holy, or on the Trinity today um, instead of looking specifically at the, at the Holy Spirit. But here's the deal. This is a hard concept to talk about, right? Like theologians will tell you that this is the hardest thing in our entire faith to try to wrap our minds around, um, and it's because we don't really have a good concept. There's nothing in nature that really fits who God is as in the Trinity, right? And we'll get to talking about that in a second, but it's kind of like if I were to say, imagine something that doesn't have a beginning, right? That's really hard for us to wrap our brains around um, the fact that like if something doesn't have a beginning, because everything we come in contact with has a beginning, right? Everything. So when we say God has existed in eternity, he has had no like starting point, that is really tough for us to understand. And it's same with the Trinity, uh, that we don't really have anything in, in nature that, that, or in, in creation that matches the idea of being fully three in one the same way that God is. And there are some analogies that, can, that, uh, that people use, but they all fall short. And we're going to get to that in a minute. So, so today, um, we're going to be talking about that. So what is the Trinity? The Trinity is who God is. The Trinity is who God is, and, and we'll get to a definition of it in a second, but um, our faith is founded on this concept of the Trinity, that God is the, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? So when Jesus is giving the command to the disciples where he's saying, this is the commission, this is what your mission as a Christian is supposed to be. He bases it equally on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So in our, in our kind of like founding moment of our faith, Jesus makes it very clear that our faith is dependent on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one. It's not just one or the other. And so why, you know, outside of that, why is this important, Right? Because we can look at the Trinity and go, okay, I get it, three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Isn't that just some theological mumbo jumbo, right? Like, isn't it just jargon that like, okay, cool, I get it, three in one, it doesn't add up, that's cool, but I don't, it doesn't affect me in any way, right? That, that can be a question that we get a lot of times. Let me, let me bring out an analogy for you to kind of highlight how, this, how that, that concept falls short. So this is Sephir, this is my, my beautiful, wonderful, amazing wife, she's great. Just give him a wave. That's awesome. She's awesome. Yes. Yeah, you can clap for her. Uh, she's great. Uh, um, so imagine this. Imagine, Sephir and I are married. We, we've been married uh, for a while now, and, and we, have, you know, we, were, we knew each other before we were married. We didn't just show up and get married, right? That would be kind of weird. Uh, but we, we have our, 
our relationship. And like, and, and I, as her husband, I love having relationship with her, and she loves having relationship with me. Um, and also, you know, I admire my wife, right? Like, she has some amazing attributes. Sephra is organized. I am not organized, right? Sephra is clean and, and on time, and I struggle in those areas, right? Sephra, like, I cheer for the Vikings. Sephra cheers for a lesser team. You know what I mean? Like, there's attributes there. There's attributes there. Um, that she has. Now, and, and those attributes reveal a lot about who she is, right? Like, that I can know a lot of her person. I can know, I can know a lot about her because of her attributes. But imagine this. Imagine I told Sephra one day, I said, Sephra, I love our relationship, and I love things about you. I love the things about you. I love um, your smile. I love uh, your laugh. I love who you are. I love that you're, on, you're organized on time and help me to do that. You know, I love your, that you're a mom and a wife. I love all that. But that's it. Like, we're done there. Okay? So, like, anything about, like, who you are or what you are or your past that, like, brought you forward to this point, like, I don't want those. I don't need those, actually, because our relationship and your attributes are great. But I don't actually, like, I don't need to know who you are or, or maybe more accurately what you are. I'm cool with just, like, how we function, right? And if I told her that, I would probably get something thrown at me, right? Because here's the deal. If, I'll, if all I want is a re, like the relationship we have and all I want is like her attributes, but I don't care about who or what she is, then my love only can go so deep, right? Because the more that I know her, the more I understand her, the more that I am aware of, of who she is, the deeper my love and, and even the deeper our relationship can go, Right? So with the same thing with God is a lot of times in our faith is we can say, God, I, I like your attributes. I like who you are. Um, I like thing, I love your grace and mercy. I love that, um, all this. But like, I don't, like, all that other stuff's just so heavy, God. Why do you got to be so heavy, right? Like, I just, God, you know, let's just chill out with that three-in-one stuff. We're good over here, right? But no, it's important. It's who God is. That's why it's important. And and it's who God has revealed himself to be to us. God, made, God was in, like intentional to show us this in scripture. So if he was intentional to show it, it must be important to us. I like what John 4.24 says. It says, God is spirit and those who, must, who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Must worship in spirit and in truth. So we can worship God with our spirit. We can worship him with the essence of who we are and our passion and our emotion and our, and our drive. But we also need to worship him in the truth of who he is. There's power in that truth. So let's take a little bit of time today and look into that. It's important because it's who God is. Also, it's important because as Christians, we're called to live Christ-like. We're called to be, to grow in likeness of God, right? We're supposed to, we're supposed to grow in holiness and righteousness and become more like him. Well, we can't become more like him if we don't understand who he is. And so that is another valid, important reason why to look at the Trinity. Um, and the last thing is this, is Genesis 126 says, you are created in the image of God. You are created in God's image. So if you, that is like, that is the image that you are created in. So the more that you can understand that image, the more you can understand who God is, the more you will understand who you are designed to be. And how you are designed as a human. So there's, that's, that's, that's making the case for why this is an important concept for us to talk, to talk about. Now, as Pastor Steve has said about this, this series, this is going to be a little bit more heavy on the teaching side. 
and then the preaching side. So I'm going to give you a preview of what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what the Trinity is. We're going to talk about what the Trinity is not. And then we're going to talk about how the Trinity operates. And that's where we're really going to see like the application points. But we can't get there if I don't, if we don't understand, like if I don't teach on who the, what the Trinity is, right? So, so hang with me. If it gets a little teaching heavy at the front end, I promise there's going to be like practical application coming at the end. So just stick with me. Um, last thing I want to say before we get into this is, is this, is Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this about God. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declare the Lord, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What the Lord is saying in that is God is so much higher and better and bigger and more infinite than our tiny little minds can comprehend, right? Like, a lot of times we can think of God as like this big old, you know, grandfather in the sky, and, and he is our father, and he does love us, and we can have real relationship with him, but we need to, like, make sure that we don't, like, turn God into our buddy, right? Like, he's the almighty God of the universe. He's infinite. He's all-powerful. He is beyond even our comprehension. So as we look at the Trinity, like, it's not something that we can totally, fully grasp in our minds, but it's something that it, God has revealed to us, and it has value. It is important, but as we look at this, let's look at it with eyes of worship and say, this is the amazing God that we serve. It's not just some random guy in the sky. This is an amazing God that we serve. All right, so, so what is, is the Trinity? What do we know about God from Scripture? What has Scripture told us about God? Well, the first thing is that Scripture reveals to us that God is one, right? God is one. You see in Deuteronomy 6.4, one of the rally cries, like it was like a slogan of Israel. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Ephesians 4, 5 through 6 says that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all, right? God, there's one God. Scripture is very clear about that. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, uh, we don't need to talk about that anymore. It's, it's throughout the whole, like, Bible is this concept that God is one. And so for the whole entire Old Testament, that was their understanding of God. But then something crazy happened along the way. This guy named Jesus shows up, and he says, I'm God. But also God the Father is in heaven, but I'm God. And we are one, but we're not the exact same. And not only that, but Jesus, like, does miracles to back it up, right? Like, so if, if you make a claim, uh, and you can sound crazy, but if you can do things that only God can do, then that... That makes sense. Jesus said, Jesus said in a couple spots, he makes very, very specific claims. I'll just read two of them for you. In John 10, 28 through 31, Jesus says, this is Jesus talking. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. And if you're like, well, he kind of didn't mean that him and God were the same thing. Like, the next verse makes it very clear. Because it says in verse John 10, 31, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. Okay? Why were they stoning him? Because if he was claiming he was God, they saw that as blasphemy. They understood that Jesus was saying, I am God. And then in John 14, 6 through, um, 6 through 9, is, uh, I'm sorry, John 14, 8 through 9, Jesus Jesus is talking about how he's the only way to the Father. And one of his disciples questions him. He says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us. 
Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say to me, show us the Father? So Jesus says, I am God as well. Uh, He says, I am the Son of God. I am God as well. But then something even crazier happens. Jesus goes back to heaven after he dies on the cross and rises again. And then he goes back to heaven and he says, he says I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. In John 15, 26, it says, But when the Helper comes, I will send, um, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And as, 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 we've, uh, as we've already referenced in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the, like Jesus puts the Holy Spirit on the same level as, as the Father and the Son, right? It's, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are who we're supposed to be baptized into. And we see throughout Scripture that the Spirit, anytime the Spirit moves, it's equated with God moving, right? If the Spirit, Holy Spirit moves, it's God moving. So all of a sudden we have, we go from really quick from God is one to God is, is also three, Right? And, and there was like, they were like, what is going on with that? Jesus, like I said, Jesus establishes that fact um, in uh, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. And we also see other places where we see the Father, Son, and Spirit move together. Um, in Matthew 3, when Jesus is baptized, is a very clear depiction of that. In Genesis 1, we see God the Father and God the Spirit moving um, in creation. And then if you add in John chapter 1, it clarifies that the Son was also present at creation. So we see... And there's plenty more examples. So what we have now is we have a God that is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all of these, all three are fully God. There's no like, oh, well, you know, there's God the Father, and then there's like 0.75 God Jesus, and then like 0.5 God the Holy Spirit, right? Like that's not how it works. They're fully God. And, and there's a picture that illustrates this really. Oh, it's already on the screen. Man, you guys are so good back there. Boom. Um, so this is, a, this is the best diagram that anybody can come up with to explain this concept. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son, the Father is not the Holy Spirit, right? The Son is not the Father, is not the Holy Spirit, but in you, so on and so forth. You can look at it and you can kind of grasp that. That's the best, like, pictorial, like, way we can show the Trinity in, in like, a diagram. So... So what is the Trinity? What exactly is it? Let's, let's throw a definition out there for it. The Trin- like I said, the Trinity is God. But the Trinity is a term for God that highlights that God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is not a scriptural term. You will not find any verse that says Trinity in it. Because it's a term that was created by a theologian in the second century named Tertullian. And a uh, great name, by the way. Name of our next kid, for sure. Um, Tertullian. <laughs> But, uh, and, and no, that's not a pregnancy announcement. Uh, so, Tertullian, um, uh, wow, my brain is going to all kinds of places. You need to stop with the jokes and get on with this. Tertullian, he, he said, this is something that's revealed in Scripture. Let's put a name on it so we have, so we have a, like a distinct way to talk about it. So the Trinity is, the, is a term for God that highlights the fact that he's three in one. And here's the technical definition of it, okay? So I'm going to pull like a Pastor Steve and go into the Greek for a second. Here's the technical definition. You want to put this up on the screen. It is one usia and three hypostases. 
okay? God is one usia and three hypostasis. Now, this is not going to be on the quiz after service. You don't have to worry about that. But here's what that means. It means, those are Greek words that mean this. It means one substance in three relations. How can we boil that down even more? It means that God is one being in three persons. One being in three persons. God is one, but within the one, there is complex diversity. And it has always been this way since all of creation. And when the Trinity operates, they all operate in unity. They work together. But we see that there are points where one takes the lead. For instance, God the Son came as Jesus and took the lead in our redemption. But the Father was involved and the Holy Spirit were involved when Jesus was here on earth. They always operate together. They're in perfect unity. God exists in perfect, loving community within himself. Isn't that interesting? Because when we think of God, when we read the scripture that says God is love, we kind of think of like, oh, he is love as like an alone sense of love. Like he is this concept of love. But no, God is actually love living itself out all the time. He is loving, fully loving in community within his nature. God is relational at the core of who he is. Every, like in his essence, he is a relational. And why is, why is this concept important because like i said it reminds us that god it a it's who god revealed himself to be b it reminds us that god blows the top off our tiny boxes that we try to put him in god blows the top off that man when i think of god sometimes like i said i'll I'll pray to him and my prayers are me telling him what to do but if we just stop for a second and try to comprehend just who god is in himself it like blows our minds right and so as, as, again, as we look at this, worship is the only thing that, it can only be our only response. Because not only is God this, but he's like infinitely good within this. It's, it's incredible. So that's what the Trinity is. I think I have, a, I have a slide up there for Trinity math. You guys ready for the math? So I already gave you Greek, so here's math to make this even more fun. So God plus God plus God equals God does not equal three gods, Okay. God plus God plus God equals God does not equal three gods. Now, if you bring that to your algebra class, you're going to fail. But if you bring it to church, you have good theology. So congratulations. Um, God plus God plus God equals God does not equal three gods. God is three in one. He is not merely one, nor is he three separate entities that work together. God is three in one. Okay, you guys are like, man, you are losing me, Tyler. Let's, let's, uh, no, I'm just kidding. You guys are smart. You're, you're, uh, you're tracking with me. So, so let's, that's what the Trinity is. Let's talk about what the Trinity is not, okay? So I actually need an assistance from somebody. Um, Dan Johnson, can you assist me? Are you able to assist me? Come on up. I, yes. I'm going to give him a hand. Dan Johnson. Dan Johnson. I have a yardstick for you. No, I didn't take this because it's three feet in one stick. That's not how it works. But I, as I do this, we're going to talk about why that analogy would fall short in a second. Dan, nice. so this is, I better be nice. Uh, yeah, well, just wait and see. Um, I feel like I'm about to do a magic trick, right? Like, I'm going to make this disappear. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Um, so this is going to represent our understanding of God, right? This is going to re- represent a proper scriptural understanding of who God is. So now, Dan, I need you to just put out, like, three fingers out for it, Okay. So on one end of this is three, and on one end is one, okay? Three and one. If we put it, if we understand who God is and keep that balanced in the middle, then Dan is able to hold up a proper understanding of who God is. It doesn't fall apart. 
three in one, right? It's both. If we have both, it's fine. Now, where we can get off and where we can have issues, no, keep those three fingers out. Where we can have issues is when we get too lopsided onto one side. So this is our, if you're wondering, what in the world is that? This is our golden warhammer if you win tribe wars in youth. So I'm not going to explain that anymore. Just imagine it in your, in your head. Um, there's, some, there's some initials on here, including TK, because our team won this year. So that's great. So if we have an improper understanding of God, what happens is we can do one of two things. We can overemphasize the one, or we can overemphasize the three, just like this. If I put this here and put it right in the middle on Dan's hand, like Dan and all his masculine strength, as he talked about earlier, still can't uphold, right, this, the hammer. If, we're, if we focus too much on the one, boom, there it goes. If we focus too much on the three, boom, there it goes. The proper understanding of God is to keep the three in one in balance. And if you don't, if you don't keep it in balance, you end up in some really weird places, right? Some really, really weird places. Thanks, Dan. You can go ahead and take a seat. Appreciate it. For instance, you could end up with broken fingers from trying to hold that with just a finger. No. And so, so here's why, here's, if, if you don't keep those things intact, in the right thing, you end up in weird places. Like, if you forget the fact that, like, Jesus is God, all of a sudden our salvation falls apart, right? If you don't keep those things intact, what happens is you end up in weird places theologically. And a ton of heresies throughout Christian, like, the Christian existence have come because of improper understanding of this. So let's talk about how our analogies can fall short really quick. Have you ever heard the analogy of the Trinity that says, that the Trinity is like an egg, right? It's three in one. You have a shell, a yolk, and a white inside of it. Or maybe you've heard this one. Trinity is like how a person, like how I can be a man, a father, and a um, son of my, of my parents at the same time, right? Those are, those are examples. Those are analogies we've used for the Trinity. The problem with that, the problem with that is this, is that an egg is one egg. It's one entity with three parts, right? It's three parts. It's not three persons. It's three parts. Or when I am being, when I am being, like, if you say I am Tyler and I am a man, I am a father and I am a son, those are three, like, roles that I take on, but they're not distinct persons in and of themselves. We have to be careful when we're talking about God that we don't dumb him down to something that he's not. Because God is not one God that just has three parts that are different within him right? God doesn't have that brokenness within who he is. And the second thing is, God is not just one God that operates certain ways. God is one God that has three persons, full persons that we can interact with, that we can know, and yet he is one being. If you go too far on the one side, you end up with a God that simply is a God with three different roles, but he's only one. And that's not what he teaches us. On the flip side, you can, maybe you've heard this analogy, the Trinity is like a family, right? As a family is one unit, but there's a father, there's a mother, and there's, you know, children or a child. We'll keep it simple, a child. The problem with that is you end up with three different people, right? The, God is not God the Father, who is separate from God the Son, who is separate from God the Holy Spirit. We don't worship three gods. We worship one, revealed to us in three persons. Right? And so now you're like, okay, now, so we have to be, again, we have to be careful with our, with our analogies of this because the, the problem is not that 
of course we want people to be able to grasp three in one. But we have to be careful because there's always truth behind these analogies. And if we, if we talk about them, we could give people a wrong concept of who God is. God is not simply one. He's not merely one. And he is not three separate things. And along with that, too, God is not a hierarchy. Like I, we've already talked, it's not like the God the Father is more in charge than God the Son, right? Like they are all equal in their godness. They all have the same divinity within them. So here's the best way I know to put it. And then after this, we're going to talk about how the Trinity operates and how that applies to our life. Here's the best way I know how to put it. A statue is a being with no person, right? It has no person within it. It's just a, it's a statue. It's like, it's, um, there was a Vikings joke there, but I'm, quarterback joke, but I'm not going to make it. So there's a statue, right? Um, then there is, uh, then we have all of us. We are beings with one person. I am one person. I am Tyler Kinzer. I am, I am a being and I have a person. God is a being with three persons. Not three personalities, three full functioning persons. And we can't comprehend that because we don't have anything that reveals that to us other than God saying this is how it is. On this side of heaven, we're not going to fully understand it, but that's how great our God is. He's so much higher than anything else that we could understand. That is who God is. Now, thank you for sticking with me on that part. Here's, we're going to get to how does this affect my life? How does this affect my life? Because, like we said, if we understand who God is, then we can look at God and say, God, I, as a Christian, I'm supposed to be like you. I'm called your child. You are my father. A child should mimic their father. We're called to grow and develop. So when we look at the Trinity, we can see how the Trinity moves, and then we can draw principles for our life. And this is throughout Scripture. We see this all over the place. And I want to say this. I want to make this one point, too, before we, we go into that. And I only have, I have five points. We're going to move through them pretty quick, and that'll be the End of, end of the sermon, is this, is when God calls us to do something, he only calls us to do something that is within his nature. Because God would never call us to do something that is outside of his nature because God is the source of all goodness, right? So when we look at who God is, God is never going to call you to do something outside of himself because that is outside of what is good for you. So when we look at God and see how the Trinity moves, it is the perfect good way that we should be mirroring in our lives. So here's the first point. The Trinity operates in relationship. Everyone say relationship. Relationship, duh, right? Like, okay, we, we've been talking about that the whole time. Like, the Trinity operates in relationship. It operates in perfect, eternal, constant relationship. What's important about this is that God is not about living life in isolation or solitary. God lives in relationship all the time. And God has called us and created us for relationship, first with him, right? That is our first and primary relationship. But a lot of Christians stop there. God has created us also for relationship with others. He has created us with relationship with others. Genesis 1, 26 through 27 says this, and I want to I read this. It says, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Okay, so there's God saying, like, let us make man. He's, that's a Trinitarian uh, reference there. And let them have dominion over the fish in the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Um, yeah, side note, you have dominion over creepy things. All right. Anyway, uh, so it's scriptural. Um, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
when God created you, he created you in his likeness. And if he is a God of relationship, then he created you to be a person of relationship. And what that means is that we are supposed to have real active relationships, especially within the body of Christ. But how many of us, because of what our culture teaches us, our culture teaches us that it's good to be independent, it's good to be isolated, keep your business private, don't let anybody in, or at least don't let them in to the point where it's going to be vulnerable. And so what we do is we can close ourselves off from them. But God never intended you for that. The Trinity operates in relationship. Here's my question. Do you operate in relationship? Do you have real iron sharpens iron friendships in your life? That's why this is the value of our church, is because God created you for relationship. Now, I'll, I'll make a side note here. Men, we're bad at this, right? We are bad at this. And here's the excuse we, we make. We say, I'm a big, tough man, right? Like, I'm a man. I'll deal with it myself. I don't like to let people in. I don't like people to see my problems. Well, here's the deal. God is bigger, tougher, stronger, and more wise than you, and he says you need relationship. It's throughout scripture, right? In Hebrews 10, this will be on the screen too. In Hebrews 10, it says this, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, some, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You need relationship. And if you are not actively pursuing that, then you are not living in the fullness that God has for you. And, a lot, and it can be easy to fall into the trap of saying, I'm going to wait for somebody to come to me. That's not what it says. That's not even how God operates, right? God wouldn't say, I'm just going to wait for you to come to me. God says, I'm going to go to you. God reaches out in love within himself and to us. We need to do that for other people. We need relationships in our life. Even Jesus, when he first came, what's the first thing he did? He surrounded himself with relationships. We need that in our lives. So the Trinity operates in relationships, so do we need to as well. Do you operate in relationship or do you isolate yourself? Point two, the Trinity operates in unity. The Trinity is indivisible in its nature. What, it, what I mean by that is they're all God. It, God is the Trinity. And when they move, they move together. It's not like the Holy Spirit is like off like a, a renegade against God the Son, right? Like that doesn't happen. It's not how it is. No, Jesus the Trinity operates in unity, and they're always going towards the same purpose. They have overlap in how they work in their goals. My question to you is, do you operate in unity within the body of Christ? Do you bring unity to the body of Christ? In Philippians chapter 2, God calls us to this. He says this in Philippians 2, 1 through 4. So if you have any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Whoa, that is a tough scripture, right? Because when I come to church, a lot of times I come with my agenda, what, how can I do what I want to do? How can I do what I, what I want to, how can I be what I want to be? God has called us to walk in unity with one another, not just relationship, but unity. That doesn't mean we won't have conflicts. We're imperfect people. But when we have conflict with each other, we need to reach out for unity and peace in the body of Christ. And if you don't think this is a big deal, Jesus did. 
Okay? Matthew 5 says this. In Matthew 5, 43 through, through 48, um, it says this. It says, you have heard it said that you should love your neighbor. I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse. No, I'm reading the right verse. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Nope, I am reading the wrong one. All right, time out. Sorry. That's the next point. Okay, so pause there. Jesus says this in, in Matthew 18. He says this. He says, if you have, if you go to worship God and you find out that your brother has something against you, then leave your sacrifice at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother. So Jesus says, stop worshiping and go be reconciled to your brother and then come back and give your sacrifice. Why? Because he doesn't want that disunity to get in the way of your worship. If Jesus says, stop worshiping to go deal with this and then come back to worship, he meant it was a big deal. He thought it was a big deal. Do you walk in unity? When you come to church, do you bring unity with you? Do you bring a unifying mindset? That doesn't mean we're conformists. What it means is we're going to operate under what God has for us and be unified in that. Uh, so the band could come forward. We're going we're gonna to go through the next uh, three points here. Uh, last three points. So the Trinity, number three, the Trinity operates in love. We've already talked about that. God is love. God is love. My question is this, is do we love others? God is love, and he has love for us. He's poured that out. Do we love others? And I mean, I mean do we really love others? First John 4, 11 and 12 says, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his perfect love is in us. God says we need to love each other. But the second thing is, is we need to love people that aren't like us. This is the verse I was supposed to read that I started reading earlier. It says, you have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Later on, it goes down and Jesus says, do you love people that love you? Great, even the pagans do that. Great, even the pagans do that. Here's my question for us. Do you love the people in the body of Christ? Do you love them? Do you do you value them? Do you want what's best for them? Do you go out of your way to build them up? Do you love them, not in a romantic sense, but in the sense of pouring out your life and doing what's best for them? But then Jesus calls us to a higher standard. He says this. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And when the teacher of the law asked him who's his neighbor, he said, gave the story of the good Samaritan. The Samaritan was a despised enemy of the Jew. He saw the, world, the Samaritans and Jews saw the world different ways. They hated each other. And Jesus says, that's who your neighbor is. That's who you should love. We don't, Christians don't have enemies. We don't have enemies. We have people that we should love and pray for more, right? And so as, as Christians, my, my question to you is, God is love. Do you operate in love? Does your Facebook feed operate in love? Does the way you talk about our political leaders operate in love? Does the way that you treat people in Walmart operate in love? Like, I'm stepping on my own toes here. Does like, the, you know, does, do, when you come to church and there's somebody that you have, that you've had conflict with in the past, do you operate in love? Do you really see the good and value them? Because God does. And that's who our God is. And, if, and to say that, oh, well, that doesn't apply to me, then, that's a, then you're lowering the standard of who God is in your life. Point number four, that God operates in grace. God operates in grace. See, we have this God that doesn't need us because he's got all the love and relationship and community that he could ever perfectly want within himself. 
And yet he reaches out to us and says, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be a part of this. And it says in, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, it says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are God's ambassadors, as if God is making his appeal through us to the world. Right? That doesn't say that, but that's the implication there. Do you reach out in grace to other people with God's grace? Do you operate in God's grace? Because God operates in grace for you. Do you operate in God's grace for others? And the last one is this. The Trinity operates in motion. The Trinity is not static. It doesn't wait. God is always moving. God is always operating. God is always growing. Or not growing, I'm sorry. He's, he's perfection. He is, he's always doing, like moving to accomplish his purpose. It, does your faith move to accomplish its purpose? Or is it static? Does it sit? Is it isolated? Do you hold it to yourself? God is always operating in motion. Is, is our faith in motion? Is it growing in us? And is it being stretched out to other people? Is our faith in motion? So that's a very basic overview of the Trinity. Here's the most amazing part, my final thing. It says this, Jesus invites us into the life of the Trinity. The dance that happens within God between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Jesus invites us to join in that life. It says this in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Um, I'm just going to read verse 4. Uh, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them we might become partakers of the divine nature. God wants to draw you into who he is. Isn't that incredible? Man, that, that puts a different spin on my faith. My faith isn't me trying to do enough to be good enough for God because I could never be good enough to enter into the life of the Trinity, right? But because of what Jesus did, he invites us into that and God wants to live life with us. Isn't that incredible? So here's what we're going to do today. Uh, here's how we're going to end. We have just a, I'm just going to go into an altar time. Um, uh, and here's what we're going to do. If you, are, if you are with us today and you've never invited Jesus into your life, if you've never said Jesus is the one that I want to, uh, that I want to live for, that I want to, I want to uh, live for him, if that is the case and you want to, what we're going to do is we're going to have the prayer team come up right now. Prayer team, you can stand up front. And I would invite you to come pray with one of them. Say, I want to invite Jesus into my life. And they will lead you through that. But for the rest of us, maybe something here spoke to you. Maybe something in this sermon of those five points or something else spoke to you. You go, I'm not operating in love. I'm not operating in relationship. And you would want a moment to, a moment to, to deal with that with God. You could, these altars are open. The prayer team is open. I would invite you to come. And then the last thing is this. Maybe as we've been speaking, you're just like, wow, God is incredible. And I just want a couple minutes to worship him. Me too. That sounds like great. Um, and so if we could have everybody stand up, we're going to go through this song like, you know, one time until, until Joe's done, and then we're going to pray and dismiss, and that'll be it. Thank you, for, thank you for coming to be with us today. God, we love you. Lord, I pray that you do in this altar time what you want to do.